This afternoon we find our text from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second Corinthians, chapter 4, the verses 1 through 6. So the first six verses of chapter 4 will be the basis of our message this afternoon. And then we read God's word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cutting or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So far, reading from God's holy word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are there are times in, in your life when you experience that you lose hope. Times when you may feel completely discouraged. Maybe times when nothing seems to be going right and you anticipate that bad things are going to keep on happening in your, in your lives. Perhaps you've been praying for things to change, but nothing seems to change. Maybe you're praying that you might be able to find an apartment, you might be able to find a, a home. It can be a challenge in our climate today. Perhaps you're looking for a job and you just can't find the job you're looking for. And nothing seems to work out no matter what you try. Perhaps you lose heart when medical treatments do not have the desired results. Your pain continues or your condition, medical condition continues. Perhaps you're struggling with it. <clears throat> Perhaps you're struggling with a marriage, a relationship that's gone badly. And nothing ever seems to change. Nothing seems to get better in that relationship. Or the relationship you have with your children, and it only seems to go from bad to worse. And you may end up despairing. Anything good can ever come out of it. Or as Christians, we may be losing heart when we see the things that are happening around us in this world. Today, I often hear expressions of people being concerned because they look around what's going on in our culture, in our society, and it seems like the world is going mad. Society seems to be moving from one perversion to another perversion that's even worse than the one before. What does Paul say? Paul says, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul says we do not lose heart. That clearly indicates that for Paul, uh, there were also difficult struggles in his own life. Things that might cause him to despair and to lose hope. Right? Throughout his entire ministry, he was constantly opposed. He's being harassed for the very sake of the gospel. He was ridiculed by those to whom he brought the gospel message. 
He was constantly being opposed by the authorities, harassed for the very sake of the gospel. They brought him before the judges that they might find him and they might throw him into prison. And they're in prison. He often was beaten, beaten for the sake of his Lord. Not only that, we can understand that might be his, those who opposed him, those who, uh, who would want nothing to do with the gospel because they, they had a different way of looking at life. But what you see so often in Paul's own life is so often even members of the church, fellow brothers and sisters who refused to listen to him. Instead, they went and they listened to false teachers and false preachers. He was accused by brothers and sisters of being deceitful, accused of not caring for them, accused of seeking only for his own good, looking to make himself rich on the gospel. And so Paul, Paul is a man who had no end to disappointments. Wherever he went and he proclaimed the gospel, so often he was being, a very, he was being opposed for that very thing. Humanly speaking, Paul might have asked, what is the sense of going on with this ministry? And it seems he could find a better way to escape the suffering that he endured from day to day. What does Paul say? Paul says, we, referring to himself and his fellow workers for the gospel, we do not lose heart. Nothing, nothing will stop us, Paul says. Not the pain, not the disappointments, not the hardships that are going to stop us from carrying out this ministry of proclaiming the gospel message. And you wonder, well, why not? Why will nothing stop Paul from stopping doing what he's doing, preaching about Jesus Christ? Paul himself, such a strong man, that it just kind of troubles and the suffering kind of rolls off his back. You know, it's no big deal. He's kind of a superman. Not at all. But this is what he says. Paul says, we have, but apostles and his fellow workers, we have this ministry through God's mercy. Paul declares also in the text this this afternoon that he has seen the glory of God in the life of Christ Jesus. And when you see, when you see the glory of God through, through the gospel, God's glory is greater than all the suffering and all the disappointments that we face in our daily lives. Our pain, beloved, our suffering cannot compare uh, to the glory that we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon, we'll listen to God's word under this theme. The gospel ministry shines into our hearts the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So the gospel ministry shines into our hearts the glory of Christ, or the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Under that theme, we'll look at three things. First of all, we did not lose heart in proclaiming the gospel. Secondly, the gospel is closed to those who are perishing. And thirdly, we look at our encouragement that God lets the light shine in the darkness. So Paul has been dealing with opposition in the church of Corinth already for quite some time. He's already, this is his second letter. Paul has already been dealing with troubles in the church in his first letter where he had to admonish the believers. 
Remember, in the, in the first letter, uh, Paul talks about the division that is there in the church because different, different people were following different leaders. Somebody said, I follow Cephas, another said, I follow Paulus, another said, I follow Paul, and others, I follow Jesus. What were they doing? Well, they were, they were elevating the teachings of those people that they were following. They were elevating those teachers above the status of the, of the Lord Jesus. And Paul's message back then was, there should be no division within the church. There must never be competition between leaders as each leader tries to get their own following. Why? Because we must all follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our leader. And so leaders within the church must never put themselves above others. We're called each day to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul then says in our text, he says, it is through God's mercy that we have this ministry. I'm not a minister of the gospel, Paul basically says here, because I'm better or because I'm more than more deserving than others. No, it's only because God is merciful to me, a sinner, that I even have this ministry. And I think you could probably understand that, uh, that Paul, perhaps better than anyone else, understands the mercy of his Lord. Or it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who came to Paul at the time when he was persecuting the church and he was on his way to Damascus. And Paul himself was worthy of Christ's eternal condemnation. And yet here Lord Jesus comes and, and confronts Paul. And he calls Paul, he says, Paul, I call you to be a servant that you may go and that you may proclaim the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And so the word therefore, the beginning of our text, uh, connects these words to what Paul has just written earlier in the previous chapter about the glory of God. There Paul reminds us about uh, what happened in the Old Testament when Moses went and he, and he spoke to the Lord God when Moses would go to the tent of meeting. And when he left the tent of meeting, then his face would reflect the, the very glory of God. And as the people beheld the, fo- the face of Moses, they were, they were afraid. So afraid that they pleaded with Moses, Moses, cover up your face. And Moses covered up his face with a veil so they couldn't see the glory of God. Now Paul says, he says here, he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord Jesus, the veil is taken away. What he's saying here, beloved, is through the gospel message, with unveiled faces, we are able to contemplate, we're able to begin to see the Lord's glory. We're able to see His glory as we ourselves are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. See, what's Paul's ministry? Paul's ministry, Paul's calling, is that he might go and proclaim the gospel message. And what is that message? That message, beloved, reveals the very glory of Christ, who is our Savior. That's why Paul is able to express those words. He says, we do not lose heart. No, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the hardships, in spite of the suffering, we do not lose heart. Because if you see, if you see the glory of Christ, then in His glory, we have everything that we need We have the power, we have the strength that we need to be able to continue on in our faith. 
Right? The very hardships and, and the very troubles that we're faced in our life, they begin to fade from our memory when we begin to behold the very glory of our Lord. Why? Because it's the glory of Christ that begins to capture your attention. And when the glory of Christ, when it grabs your attention, then you will no, then your thoughts and your memory and your ideas and your, and your feelings and your emotions will no longer dwell on the troubles that you're facing every day of your life. Well, they don't go away. But they no longer become the focus. Because Christ becomes the focus. And so Paul goes on and he, and, and he tells us how this impacts the way that he goes out and he carries out his ministry in verse 2. He says this, he says, we renounce secret or we renounce underhanded and shameful or disgraceful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, Paul says, this is what we do. When we came to you, we set forth the truth plainly. You see, using secret or better underhanded means to bring the gospel message Beloved, that, Paul says, is not worthy of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of the, the idea behind what Paul uh, is saying here is, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like a fisherman. I'm not like a fisherman who puts bait there uh, on the hook, maybe a worm on the hook. Right? Why, why, why do you put bait on the, on the hook? Well, the bait draws the fish in. But when the fish are drawn in, the fish don't realize that the bait is there to ensnare them. And so as Paul has in mind here, Paul has in mind the false teachers, teachers who, who use deceptive ways to try to snare people. Paul illustrates what he means in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 3 and following, which we read together where he speaks about false apostles and, and ministers of the gospel. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 11, he says, I'm, not a, or, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he goes on in verse 4, and he speaks about some of those deceptive ways when he writes about preachers, preachers who preach a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or a different gospel from the gospel that you have accepted and that you have heard from us. You need to wonder, why do false preachers preach a Jesus who is different from the Jesus that is found in the gospel? This morning, there was a couple who came to the worship services and they were speaking. They were Roman Catholics and they'd been going to the Roman Catholic church and, and they came to, to the worship service being invited there. And he spoke about that very thing, about what was happening in the Roman Catholic church, a church that no longer preaches or teaches the, the gospel message. People notice. And yet there are many who are also gullible, many who are taken in by false preachers and false teachers. Some, some may preach Jesus. They think that people want to hear about. The kind of Jesus that people do not find offensive. Because we don't want to offend anybody. We want to drive anybody away from the church. Others, they may preach Jesus that they think will get them a bigger following. I know in, in Brampton, many of the churches teach what's called the prosperity gospel. 
prosperity preachers who promise that when you come to Jesus, that Jesus will take away all of your problems. Jesus will make you rich. Your life will be better when you come and you accept Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus. Nothing but a lie. But Jesus doesn't promise to make anyone rich. He doesn't promise to take away your earthly problems. He gives you other promises, but doesn't promise you that. And then there are others who, who only use Jesus to become rich themselves at the expense of others. Paul spoke about how the devil used Eve. Remember when the devil came to Eve, Paul points out he distorted the word of God. And what did the devil say to Eve? He says, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit that he is forbidding you to eat from. Why? Because God knows that the day that you eat of it, you're going to become just like him, knowing good and evil. So what did Satan do? Well, Satan twisted the truth. He twisted enough in order that he might deceive Eve, even though Eve knew better because she had been instructed by God. And why did he twist that word, that truth, in order that he might gain Victory that he might gain glory for himself. And so what does Paul say? Paul, Paul says, I did not use the ways of false teachers. I didn't use the ways of the devil. I didn't use a bait and switch strategy in order to try to snare you. No, I was completely honest and open, to, open with you about the gospel message. I plainly set out that gospel message about the Lord Jesus I spoke to you about his glory. But you know, it was a glory that was revealed, not through how great a man he was, how powerful a man he was, but it was a glory that was revealed through his suffering. A glory that is revealed through his death on the cross. That shameful death. But it's also a glory that is now displayed in the wonderful resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul says, you know, I never represented who Jesus was to you, but I spoke very plainly about his glorious work of salvation for, for sinners. And so Paul is, is trying to also commend the believers there in Corinth, trying to remind them again of what his task was as a preacher over against the false teachers. And so he doesn't only then plead, he says, look at how I brought the message. I broke, I spoke it to you plainly. I tried and didn't try to deceive you. And then he goes on and he ends and he says, and so we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What does Paul do? Paul here appeals to the conscience of all the believers in Corinth. Why? Because he says, you can testify that I've spoken to you the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and I brought that message to you plainly. I didn't deceive you into believing all kinds of things about Jesus that wasn't true. And he says, I have done that work here in the very sight of God. For God can also testify that I have faithfully and I have truthfully proclaimed the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ to you. There it was, there in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the glory of Christ was clearly revealed to, to you my brothers and my sisters. Well, Paul has been faithful in proclaiming the gospel message. He's spoken to them and taught them about the Lord Jesus, about his work of salvation. That leads us to another question. 
If he is indeed preaching the glory of Christ, then why his message? Why is it not being accepted by everyone? Is it because the message that he's preaching is, is being veiled? Is there some kind of a veil, a cloud placed over that message he's bringing so people can't really clearly see or understand what he's teaching them? And notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now when Paul says here, even if our gospel is veiled, he doesn't mean that he is hiding, that he's suggesting that somehow he's hiding the, the, the real message when he preaches the gospel. No, he preaches, he, says, he preaches the clear gospel message. There's nothing hidden about anything that he says about the Lord Jesus. There's nothing that is obscured about what he said about the Lord, what the Lord Jesus has, has done for, for his people. That message, that gospel message is clearly proclaimed for everyone to see and everyone to understand. The problem isn't with the message itself. Problem isn't with the messenger either. And yet the reality is that not everyone sees the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Not everyone understands what Jesus has come to do. Not everyone sees the glory of Christ in that message. It is as if there are so many in this world who have a veil over their faces, a veil that prevents them from being able to see the very glory of the Lord Jesus. Then. Paul also makes very clear who, who they are who's, who have a veil over their eyes. Paul says it is those who are perishing, those who are walking on the path that leads uh, to eternal hell. Chapter 3, 16, Paul wrote this. He says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Paul says there in that chapter 3, 16, is that with mankind there is a veil that covers the heads and the hearts and the minds of people, of all mankind, so that mankind cannot see the very glory of Christ. And so Paul says, in order to be able to see the very glory of Christ as your Savior, what needs to happen is that the veil must be taken away. Now you notice in chapter 3.16 that Paul does not say that we must take away that veil. Paul says it is taken away. How? What well, is taken away by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes, who opens their eyes, that they may behold the very glory of Christ. This veil is not a result of Paul's obscure preaching of the gospel. But here, maybe you may remember that during the life of our Lord Jesus, when he's still here on earth, the Lord Jesus, after he had performed some, some miracle, he would often tell the people whom he had healed or done some miracle for, he'd say, don't tell anyone else about this. Or he would teach his disciples something, and he would say, don't tell anybody else what I have taught you. Right? During his life here on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ did. There were times that he did hide his glory from the people. Why? Because he was not yet ready to openly reveal himself as the Savior of Israel. There's still so much suffering that he had to do. There's still death that he needed to go through, the kneeling to the cross he needed to endure. But after his work is done, after the Lord Jesus is resurrected from the, from the dead, what does Christ do? Christ comes to his disciples and he calls his apostles to go and to proclaim him openly and plainly as the Savior of the world. 
After his resurrection, beloved, the the glory of Christ is no longer being obscured. But the light of Christ must now be placed on the hilltops of the world for everyone to see. Paul says, but the reality is not everyone sees the light of Christ's glory. And so while the glory of Christ is no longer veiled, yet the eyes of those who are perishing, they are veiled. And so why is that the case? Why can those who are perishing, why are they not able to see the very glory of Christ? Paul gives the answer in verse 4. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Speaking of the God of this age. Now there, there are commentators even today who twist these words of Paul to mean and that Paul is now talking about there are two gods in this world. We know that's not what Paul says. Paul so understands. Paul clearly has taught us other places, another place there's only one God. One God who is the creator of this world. But here in his creation, Satan comes and Satan is very powerful and Satan also claims to be the God and he claims to be the ruler of all mankind. Here in this world, Satan stands in direct opposition to Almighty God. Satan is busy everywhere to destroy all the works of God here in this world. And so when Paul speaks about him as the God of this age, when he talks about the God of this age, he talks about the, uh, the age in which we are living. Understand that Satan will not have this position in the age that is, still, uh, that, 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 that is to come. And so Paul when he reminds the believers, he reminds us today, beloved, that Satan still has great power, also in the world in which we are living today. And we see that power all around us. What did he do with that power? Well, Paul says, what he does is he uses his power to blind the, the minds of unbelievers. He does that by placing a veil over their eyes so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Well, the gospel message that Paul preaches plainly, that message is a great light that shines in the midst of the world. But Paul says, what the devil is at work, and the devil is, is working hard to blind the minds of unbelievers who are perishing. We see that also in our culture today when so many in our society are completely blind to the very gospel message. So the question that we have here is, so, so how does Satan blind the, mind, the, the minds of mankind? Well, he does that by getting people to believe the lie. And people are so gullible. That they will believe almost any lie. The devil will say, well, so who? Who are the evil people in this world? Who are the, the true hate mongers here in this world in which you live? What Satan answer to that rhetorical question? Satan says, you know, those are the Christian believers. Because those Christian believers, they will tell you that what you're doing is sinful, it is, it is wrong, and they're spiteful when they, when they tell you that. Our Christians are portrayed also in our culture today. We're the bad people. We're the people who stop people from having an abortion. As if somehow abortion is a good thing. They're the people who say that God only created us with two genders. 
When in reality, they, Satan says, is you can have whatever gender you want to have. You're God. You make up your own mind what you want to be. Or as Christians, they tell you, you know, you shouldn't divorce. Divorce is something that is wrong. That you should remain faithful in your, in your marriage. As so somehow Christians are saying, you should continue on in, in bad marriages or abusive marriages, which is, of course, a lie, too. Or Christians are the ones that tell you that, that children should have a father and a mother. And Satan says, don't you know that, that you can have whatever kind of parents you want to have? Those are just some ways, and there are probably many other examples we could use as well, uh, how the forces of evil are twisting the truth also in our culture today. So that what's happening is that mankind accepts the lie for the gospel truth, and the gospel truth as the lie. We need to keep in mind, beloved, is what is true today. It's something that was already true back in the days of Paul. There's nothing new under the sun. The gospel is rejected. Not because the truth is being hidden from mankind and from people. Not because we do not proclaim the truth plainly and openly and But it is rejected because the forces of evil have blinded them to the glory of Christ. Glory that's revealed in the very gospel message. So you may ask yourself, so, so does that mean that it is therefore useless uh, to, to witness to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in today? Should we maybe lose heart? Preaching the gospel message when you see uh, what people are doing with that gospel message all around us? Is it a lost cause because of the power of the devil? What's Paul's answer? Paul says we do not lose heart. In verses 4 and 5, he gives us the encouragement to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel truth. When he says this, he says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. First of all, with these words, what Paul is revealing to us is that we need to have a proper self-awareness about who we really are. Does a preacher think that his ministry is all about himself and it all depends about how brilliant he is and, and how good an orator he is and how well he's able to present the message and, and that will make the difference as to how many people will come to faith? Or do you think when you tell others about Christ... That it depends upon how well you present the argument. If you have the right reasons, that people then will come to accept the gospel message. It is the focus sometimes also upon ourselves. We want to boast about ourselves. Somehow we have the ability, we have the tools, and we have the means by which we can cause people to believe. Paul, Paul says, what we teach is not ourselves. I don't preach, I don't talk about myself, I, I don't put myself in the center of the message, I don't make myself the focus. Any preacher, any, any Christian believer who speaks in a way in which they, they boast about themselves, in order that they might draw attention to themselves and put themselves in the center, is wrong. Paul McClear says you just cannot do that. And why not? Well, beloved, how? 
How can you make yourself the center of attention when your eyes are open and you begin to see the glory of Christ? You see the glory of Christ, then you have to conclude, I have no glory. Beloved, you have no glory. As sinners, every one of us is or are inglorious. Only Christ, only Christ reflects glory as the perfect Savior. So who must we preach or speak about? It must always be Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus, Lord, not you, not me, not us. It is Jesus who came and overcame sin and death. He is the one who endured the suffering here on account of our life. It was Jesus Christ who rose up from the dead, who ascended into heaven. Beloved, if we have any glory at all, it is only because of the very glory of Christ. And therefore, we do not serve ourselves, but we serve Jesus Christ. As Paul says, I do not serve myself, but I serve my Lord Jesus. And so Paul continues to write that we are your, ser- that we are your servants, speaking to the, the believers, we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Right? Ministers of the gospel, they serve the congregation. They serve as servants of the Lord Jesus. The congregation is not Lord over the ministers and over the elders in the church. But it's the ministers and elders, they serve the congregation, how? As servants of Christ. False preachers, they often do uh, what people want. False preachers want to be servants of the congregation. False preachers, they will tickle the ears of the hearers with a message that, that they think their hearers will like. But beloved, true preachers of the gospel, they proclaim the glory of Christ to the congregation. And why do they do that? Because That is the message that the congregation needs. It's the the message that we need to take to heart in order that we might be saved and that we might give glory to Christ. You see, preachers have, preachers of the gospel have but one task. And that task is to help God's people to see more clearly the glory of the Lord Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior It is through the faithful preaching and teaching of the gospel that the light of Christ is made to shine in the hearts of his people, in our hearts. What a glorious task that is. Not only that, but that gospel message is also a a power of God by which he removes the veil uh, from the eyes of those who are perishing so that they may have eternal life. Paul says in verse 6, he says, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. See, beloved, the gospel message are not just mere words. They're not just useless words. The gospel message, Paul says, it is the power of God to change our lives. And notice what Paul compares it to. He compares the gospel message uh, to God's creating power in the very beginning. 
In the beginning, when, when God created the world, Paul says, remember how he said, let the light shine. It happened. There was light. The world, in the very beginning, the first, it was dark. And the light began to shine, and the light began to overcome the darkness. You know that without the light, the world would not be able to exist. Without light, there is no life. Without light, we cannot even survive as human beings. And as God now caused the light to shine in the darkness of this world in the very beginning, it is the same God, Paul says, who now makes his light light to shine today there in your heart. The two things to keep in mind here. First is, beloved, you need to know your own limitations. We can speak the gospel. We can talk to people about the Lord Jesus. But this is where we do not have power. We do not have the power. We don't have the ability to make them see the light. And you may be praying for loved ones. I know in my congregation there are many, many new converts to the faith who are praying every day. For fathers, for mothers, for brothers, sisters, Aunts, uncles, nieces, and nephews. That they may succumb to see the light of the gospel. And so you may be praying for loved ones. And you can talk about Jesus to your loved ones all you want. We may try to force them. Perhaps even using all kinds of different methods. Perhaps some deceitful methods that they might accept the gospel. But the reality, beloved, is that we cannot penetrate the veil. You do not have the power to penetrate the veil that blinds them to the very glory of Christ. But Paul says we do not lose heart. Why? Because there's a second thing we need to remember. And that is with God there are no limitations. As God made the light to shine in the darkness long ago, as the Lord also now makes the light to shine in our hearts Today, as Paul said earlier in chapter 316, God has removed the veil over our eyes. Beloved, the Lord God has done that for you. Then you can then he can also do that for those who are still blind to the very glory of Christ, the very people for whom you are praying. Therefore, never, never give up on witnessing to the very glory of Christ. Never stop praying. For those whom you love. Never stop praying. For those in your community. Who may be living in darkness. Remember beloved. The Lord has the power. To make the light shine in the hearts. Of those who are perishing. Well Paul. Paul is not bringing. A theoretical message here. Not a hope that he's speaking about. I was hoping God might be able to do it, or God might do it. Remember this. Paul understands this message uniquely in his own life. Because Paul himself was one of those who was perishing. He was one of those who was persecuting the church, opposing the very work of God and the very work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Christ, or Christ himself, caused a great light to shine from heaven uh, as he was on the way to Damascus. And he revealed his glory to Paul. 
Paul saw his glory. A glory that at first blinded him. But he also recognized in that the very mercy of his Lord. Paul gave, or God gave to Paul the light of the knowledge of his glory that is, that is displayed there in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul thinks about God's mercy for him, one in which God came and called him to this glorious ministry, Paul says, I'll never lose heart. I've seen the glory of God. And I have beheld the glory of God there in the face of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, the gospel message is a great shining light that reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Right? The scales that blind us, they fall away from our eyes. And then we stand now enthralled as we recognize, as we behold the glory of our Savior. What a blessing that I, a sinner, with a veil of sin covering my eyes, can now clearly see the glory of my Lord and my Savior because that veil has been removed by my Lord. And therefore, beloved, do not lose heart, but rejoice. Rejoice always in the glory of your Lord. Amen.